0: change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, we pray that we would not leave here the same way that we came. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 15 through 21 this morning. Uh, but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and a great multitude followed him, and he had, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice justice to victory, and in his name, Gentiles will trust. What's going on in this story is that Jesus has just got done with the teaching on the healing on the Sabbath, and... What, what is happening is that Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy while simultaneously this story is starting to turn more towards the crucifixion. Uh, Jesus is still going to be preaching and teaching. as He's going through Matthew. But there's a, a movement towards the crucifixion where Jesus is going to die on the cross. And so some of this imagery of this uh, of these words are speaking to that. And, and a lot of times what happens when Jesus talks to his disciples, sometimes people know exactly what he's talking about, and sometimes they don't know what he's talking about. About until things have already happened. Now, we as Christian people are going through, I believe, the hardest time I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, I'm 46 years old and I've been serving Jesus for over 30 years. And um, we've just never seen anything like we've seen today. This, if the Lord tarries and I live to be in my seventies, this will be the time when I tell my grandkids about what it was like during the depression, like my grandparents used to talk to me about, or what it was like going through World War II, or what it was like in Vietnam, or, uh, uh, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, like just these things. We are living in history right now, unprecedented, unlike anything else we've ever seen before of what is going on, not only in our nation, but in our world. World, it's just totally and completely like nothing we've ever seen before. When Jesus walked the earth uh, and the people heard his message, they were going through stuff at that time with Rome and they were under oppression and they were, they were feeling as though they weren't able to live the lives that they were intended to live. And so when we read the Bible today, we've got to understand that the Bible is a right now book for us as well oftentimes we we reach back into history and we look at the Bible and we say, well, those were for those people or that was for those people or that was for those people instead of saying, you know what? The the word of God applies just as much as it did 2,000 years ago to people living under Roman oppression as it does to people that are living under the oppression that we have today. It applies just as much. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through this. We're going to pull some things out of this prophecy that speak directly to those people, but speak directly to us and where we are at today. Amen. Because the fulfillment of this prophecy towards the disciples is a promise fulfilled that that gave those earliest disciples hope. They listened to this and they had hope and they had, they, had, they had excitement about the future because they knew that they had been delivered and that they were going to get delivered by Jesus Christ. We titled this message today, Justice to Victory. And so let's, excuse me, let's get into it. At the beginning I want to say this, is that God chose Jesus, he chose you for victory. Amen? Verse 18, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased. Friends, it was God's design that he would choose Jesus, send Jesus, be Jesus, and redeem the world through Jesus. And so when it says, till he sends forth justice to victory, this is the time when he is sending forth justice to victory, because he has chosen Jesus for a time just like now. Now, this has been God's plan since the beginning of time, that, that God would uh, make man in our own image. And, and, and part of making sense of this world is this understanding that God is working out his plan. But Jesus comes on the scene after there's been 700 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. The Jews are under oppression. The Gentiles are under oppression. Jesus shows up on the scene at the exact time that God intended him to show up because that's the way that God chose it to be. And what Jesus is saying is that this victory that you have been expecting and this victory that you've been wanting is happening right now because I am here. If you want to make sense of this world, you've got to understand that it's God working out his plan, not you working out your plan. Psalm 33:11. the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Jesus is the plan. And so from Genesis to Revelation, the plan has always been that God would send a redeemer to redeem the people. That God would send somebody that would heal people and set people free and bring them to victory. And God knew that those people needed Jesus right at that time, and he chose Jesus to be there right at this time. And so for you, you translate that into understanding that God chose you to live in a time such as this. Yes. You could have lived at any other time, yeah. but but you didn't live during that time. Yeah. You're living right now. God said, You want I'm going to have them live right now because they need to experience Jesus in a time like now. Yes. The, the world needs these people that are following me right now. Romans 5, 6, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. In due time, it's always going to be on God's timing. It's never going to be on your, God, on your timing. And so if you're in the middle of this world in which we're living, you say, man, why couldn't I have lived at a different time? God didn't want you to live during that time. He wanted you to live right now. That he's working out something inside of you that's going to wrought salvation inside of you and be able to get you to heaven. What a privilege! What a privilege it is for us to live in a time such as this. What a privilege it is to know that we get to walk out our faith in a way that many people did not get to walk out their faith. What a privilege it is that we're going to be able to see to, to be able to experience God's power in a way that other people have not been able to experience. We're going to be able to depend on Jesus in a way that other people have never got to depend on Jesus. And so if God chose Jesus and he's running the show, then God chose you. And if God chose you, then that means victory. And, you, and you've heard, the, I, I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And you heard the plans I have for you. And that's true. But it may not be or expect what you think it should be and what you want it to be. But he, hopeless, he, he hopefully chose you in a time such as this so that you can have hope. Amen. That should give you some encouragement. Amen. You should be able to sit there and say, man, I I praise God that God chose me. I'm glad that he knew what what I needed. He knew what this world needed and that he brought me in a time such as this. (coughs) Excuse me. In Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to show you the scripture. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, it says... Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. It was God's will to think about that before the earth was formed, God knew that he was going to choose you. God knew that your life was going to exist right now. God knew that you're going to have breath in your lungs right now. Now, before the foundations of the earth, before the earth was even formed, God saw you in his bosom. And you would say, how is that possible? It's possible because his name is God. Yeah. That's what his name tag says. And so he can keep track of 7.5 billion people. He can take care of everybody. He can see everything. And you, in your finite mind, think, well, how is that possible? Well, it's only possible because of God. Amen? Amen. Yeah. This should give you hope. You're not just some cog in a massive wheel. God knows you. He knows about you. Some some of y'all are excited about that. Some of y'all are like, why am I even here? What's this guy talking about? Have you you guys just been walking in total and complete victory over the last few months? You guys are like, man, I'm just on fire about Jesus. I already knew this. Glad that you're telling me what I already knew. Friend, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The Bible says his own special people. And I don't know about you, if you don't want to hold on to that, I hold on to that. Man, I actually think I'm special. Some of y'all maybe don't think you're special, but man, I know I'm special. And I'm made in the image and likeness of God. I'm his special people, man. Now, here's the hard thing that people don't understand about somebody that actually knows the specialness that God has created in them. I don't think I'm more special than you. I don't think it's at the expense of you not being special. I believe that if you're walking with Jesus, pow, we can all be special. And I walk in that. Man, I look in this mirror and I'm like, man, God don't make no junk. Look at this. (laughs) Killing it. Killing it. I know whose I am. I know who owns me. And it doesn't mean that I think I'm better than you. I'm just smart enough to realize that God don't make no junk. He owns me and I love it. And and I've sat in situations in my life where I think, man, how is it possible that I'm getting to experience this right now? How did I end up in this place right now? It's because God chose me for victory. Before the foundations of the earth, he said, you know what? I'm going to deliver this kid into victory. I'm going to let him experience my best. Amen. John 6:44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 15:16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Are you reflecting on that? Have you, have you been giving yourself over to this fear and doubt that thinks that, man, I'm worthless and I'm no good and why am I even alive at a time such as this? Friend, there is such a spirit of suicide and desperation and depression that's floating around this earth right now. People have lost hope. They've lost the will to live because they had hope in things that weren't Christ. They put their hope in things that are going to tarnish. And these things are being taken away from them. And we as the people of God can be the standard bearers to say, God chose us for a time such as this. And I'm special and I'm excited about the fact that Jesus chose me. Now Jesus had the Spirit of God and you've got the Spirit of God for victory. I will put my spirit on him as the promise of Isaiah and it's the fulfillment found in Jesus that said this is my son in whom I am well pleased and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a, uh, like a dove John 1.32 and John bore witness saying I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him now we believe in the Trinity here Father, Son and Holy Spirit uh, all in one, one and three, all co-equal Holy Spirit is God, is Jesus, is Jesus, is God is the Holy Spirit, they're all they're all together so when, when, when God says, I'm going to put my spirit on him, he's basically like, he's going to be me and I'm going to live in him because Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. I don't get to go. I don't have time to go into the teaching about the Trinity. It's on the website. Go and listen to it. But the point is still the same is that Jesus as 100% man, as 100% God, the Holy Spirit dwelt in him and on him and through him. And the things that he was able to do on this earth was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and and when we see Jesus walking through the earth and doing these fantastic miracles, it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what's so great about that, is that the God of this universe did not create you to follow his, his plan and have to do it on your own strength. Some of y'all are really excited about your own strength this morning. God said, thank you, Paul, at least he's with me. God said, I'm going to ask you to do something with your life, but then I myself am going to come dwell inside of you and be the power that you're going to need to be able to live this life that you're intended to lead. See, we talk about the hope of Jesus, and you say, Pastor, I don't have any hope. I can't bring hope into my life. My brain is a certain way, and my body is a certain way, and my feelings are a certain way. And God says, you want my spirit is going to dwell inside of you and give you this power that's going to sustain you to be able to live this life that I'm telling telling you that you're able to lead. Galatians 4, 6 says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Crying out, Abba, Father, and when we cry out to God in faith, we receive that spirit of adoption and his spirit comes inside of us and helps us to live this victorious life. It's why the Bible says in Romans 8 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells inside of you. Now, if you say, Pastor, I don't know if I have that Spirit of God inside of me, I believe that the Spirit of God and the receiving of the Spirit of God is more than just a, like, hey, I read this and I believe this. I believe that the Spirit of God is actually the creative power of the Holy Spirit, God Himself, the one that created the heavens, the one that raised Jesus from the dead, comes and indwells inside of me and begins to take on possession of me and actually begins to live that Holy Spirit life through me and in me that's not of my own power. And it's more than just a thought. It's more than just an agreement. It's an actual, physical, tangible, like, I feel the Holy Ghost on me. I feel his power inside of me. I feel his redemption inside of me. It's, it's an actual, tangible thing. First Corinthians 3.16 says that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you, if you're a believer in Jesus. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that he lives in each and one of us. Jesus said in John 14:17, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Yeah. And this is a truth that you need to learn to walk in. <clears throat> now, if you have the Holy Spirit, appropriate that power. If you're a believer in Jesus, and you say, Pastor, I don't know if I've ever had, had an experience with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. I'm, I'm dumb enough to read the scriptures and just do what it says and says, you know what, if you ask somebody to lay hands on you that has the Holy Spirit, you can receive it. You can go out before God, raise your hands and say, God, give me this Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and dwell inside of me and God will come and dwell inside of you. And if you think that's a little like crazy, it is, man. Yeah. <laughs> this whole thing is crazy. Yeah. Created from dirt, walking on water, raising the dead, like. And then you're like, what? His spirit wants to dwell inside of me? Yes, that's exactly what he wants to do. And if you find yourself hopeless and without any direction in your life, and you say, man, I can't seem to figure it out, feels like I'm not doing this thing the right way, cry out, Holy Spirit, dwell inside of me, because this living for Jesus is a robust, life-changing, walking with the Creator existence. How can you not be victorious when the Spirit of God rests inside of you? It's impossible for you to not be victorious. Well, let me show you what it says in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter... uh Man, I can't even find it now. I'm so fired up. In uh Let's put it up there. Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 through 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. A new heart and a new spirit. That's the promise of scripture. Your heart and your spirit ain't good enough. You need a new one. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. That means in those times when you're like, man, should I, shouldn't I, can I, can't I, the Holy Spirit inside of you will actually make you do things that you're like, how is it possible that I'm not taking part in this that I used to take part in? How is it that I'm doing this action that I never thought I would do with joy that God is now causing me to do these things inside of you, inside of me? How is that possible? Now, as, as many of you know, my, my daughter went away this week to um, Bible school, and I uh, almost lost it right before first service, because I was thinking about the fact that she's not here this morning. Well, she's a lot of joy. You know, She, uh, we thought we she'd call a bit more, but I think she's having <laughs> a lot of fun. She's not calling. She's having too much fun. So uh, we bought Faith a car a couple of years ago because she was doing running start and be able to go to school. in. And, and uh, we bought her a, a good safe car because, you know what, I want my daughter to have a safe car uh, because of it. I don't want it to break down. I want her to be safe. Now, my son, he can walk, you know, his... <laughs> His, his jalopy. He's just like, if that thing breaks down, he'll be fine, you know. He'll have a good lesson, but I don't want that for my daughter. I'll, I put as much money as possible into making sure her car is safe and runs, because that's my girl, man. I don't want her having any problems, and so... I take all my vehicles over here to Skyline, and, and I, I will give people a shout-out who let us park in their parking lot for free on Sundays. And so if you're looking for a new mechanical, John over here, he's a, he's a good guy. He'll take good care of you. And so we first got the car, I was like, give me the rundown, and he you know, fixed a couple things. And then I was like, we're, we're having all these problems with acceleration and it's... Uh, you know how like sometimes, and I don't know, engines, somebody pass, you said it wrong. I'm a preacher. I'm not an auto mechanic. And so I was making that sound, you know, in acceleration, especially like going uphill. It's like valves or something. Is it valves? Is that what it is? I don't know. And so, and I was talking to him about it. I was like, man, it's making the sound going up. And he was like, man, what kind of gas are you putting in? I was like, bruh, cheapest gas possible. He was like, that's your problem. He said, why don't you go put in some high octane, high detergent gas and see what happens. And it literally took like less than one tank of gas. And then things like just like totally and completely different power. So what I had been doing is I was putting in the cheap gas without the high octane. And all he said was, you know what, if you put in the good gas with the good octane, it's going to change a lot of your problems. You don't have to fix anything. It's what you're putting into you that's going to change you. See, some of y'all, some of y'all live in that AM, PM, 87 octane life. <laughs> Figuring, man, I, I, I'm, I'm saving 10 cents on the gallon instead of just being like, bruh, 92 Chevron high octane, you know what I'm saying? Why? Why? There's a sermon in there somewhere. Get some of that 92 octane high detergent Holy Spirit inside of you and watch how that in your life just kind of like, I don't know why I'm just running better. I seem to be doing better with the Spirit of God inside of me. I seem to be able to do more and go faster and be able to have more. Now, Jesus' job was to declare justice. That's what it says here. It says, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Your job is to declare justice to victory. That's what we're called to do. Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's what we're supposed to do. If Jesus was supposed to declare justice, we're supposed to declare justice as well. Now, I don't have time to go into it. That's not what the Lord told me to do this Sunday for this message. Uh, but, but I'm just going to step in the, in the ring for just a moment. Uh, this word justice is so overused in the world today. And, and many people think of the world's definition and not the Lord's definition. Biblical justice is justice of God himself. God, the one that makes the decision. God, the one that sets the rules. God alone decides what is right and wrong because sinful man always changes what is right and wrong. That's why when you're trying to understand the word justice in a biblical sense, you cannot take man's laws or try to enact man's laws and say that they are justice because man is a fallible person that makes fallible laws. That's why slavery used to, used to be legal. That's why the Japanese internment was legal, because man said, it's okay, we're going to have these uh, separate but equal laws and say, because it is lawful, we're doing justice. This, this is why you cannot use the world's idea of justice and put it on God's justice because that's not what God's justice is. If God created you before the foundations of the work and God, uh, worth uh, world and God chose you and God put a spirit inside you, God alone decides what justice looks like and what it means. Now, man's justice may periodically line up with God, but man changes and God does not because God's justice will bring forth victory. Amen. Now, this word justice in my translation, the New King James Version, some of you uh, might see in your Bibles that it actually, instead of the word justice, it uses the word judgment because judgment is actually, I think, a better translation if you go to the Greek because in the Greek, the krisis, which is the word in Greek, it means a tribunal uh, by implication justice, specifically divine law. And then it goes to say an accusation, a condemnation, a damnation, a judgment. Because what biblical justice is, is that biblical justice is a condemnation upon a person's actions or beliefs because they're not meeting God's holy standard. That's what biblical justice is. And so when the Bible says he came to preach forth justice, it's not that Jesus is going to come and make right the wrongs in society. That's not what it is. The biggest wrong in society that needs to be made right is that you are a sinner that needed a savior. You were turned from God and you need to turn to God. That's what the gospel is. And so when we read this scripture, we say he would declare justice to the Gentiles. It's, it's not this idea of changing the way in which the world works. It is a condemnation. Now, uh, Jesus didn't come to make wrong things, right? He came to condemn people who weren't doing things God's way. Now I'm going to say a mouthful here. And listen closely. Uh, I may need to repeat it, but it'll be online with my notes. The justice that br- that Jesus brought wasn't distributive, reconciliatory, civic justice that righted the wrongs of economics, housing, health, and representation. Right. Memorize that. Want me to say that again? I can't even remember it, and I read it, <laughs> but it's online. It wasn't distributive, reconciliatory, civic justice that righted the wrongs of economics, housing, health, and representation. This is why it's so uh, important that we know what biblical justice is and we know what the gospel is because the true gospel of Jesus applies everywhere on the earth. You can't go to someone in the bush of Africa and preach the social justice gospel and say, be freed from your oppression. He'll be like... What oppression. I live out here in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's why the social justice gospel is not the gospel. Yeah. You, you you can't go into the middle of the bush in South America and talk to somebody on the Amazon and say, well, you don't have adequate representation. And Jesus came to give you adequate representation. Yeah. like, huh? Yeah. I'm out here eating bugs. I don't care about that. Yeah. But what does translate is you are an offense to God. Yeah. You are a sinner that needs a Savior. You were born into sin and you're dead in your transgressions. And you will not make heaven unless you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And this was Jesus' mission. To come and declare judgment to the Gentiles and Jews. Because they had turned away from God. And that they were to turn back to God in repentance. And receive Jesus as Lord. And so for you, it means that you must preach God's justice. And the justice is that you can be free from the penalty. Penalty of sin through Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4:2 to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Titus 2:15 says, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. And friend, this is what we're supposed to do. And if you're not seeing fruit in your evangelistic efforts, it might be because you're not preaching the right message. You might just be going out and telling people that God loves them. And people say, well, that's nice, but my family loves me as well. Yeah. You might be going out and telling people, like, God's got a plan for you. And, and they'll say, well, uh, okay, but, I mean, I got a great marriage and a great house and a great car that runs. You might be going out to people and say, you know what, you could be living a better life and you're living now. And they like, I don't need a better life. Like, I like my life. My life doesn't seem to have a problem. I need, you say, well, you need peace. I have peace. I find it in something I smoke or drink or ingest or anything else. I don't need your peace. But the gospel of you are an offense to God, that you're dead at your transgressions, and that, that, that the the living that you're doing right now is not what God intended you to live, and you're not going to live eternally with Jesus unless you turn from your sins and you turn towards God. That's the gospel. See, the Bible encourages rebukes to get people back to where they need to be. It's always in love, but it's confrontational nonetheless. And some people like confrontation. I don't. Most people don't. But there's many people that I've had to confront with and in sorrow say, you know what, friend, God is not pleased with you. God is not pleased with how you're living. You need to get back to where you need to be, and you'll see that victory over sin. You'll see that justice and victory over sin. See, and, and you don't have to agree with me, and this is a part in my sermon where I say, well, if you want to be like that, no, I don't agree with that. That's fine. Me, I, my, my own personal thoughts of Matt is that I like a little bit of fear and pain to keep me in line. It's just the way that I am, man. I I, I seem to, like when I know that there's a punishment that I could get, or I know that a a rebuke that I can get, like it keeps me kind of like, woo, ain't going to do that. Like I'm just going to kind of keep myself. Is there anybody else that's kind of like that too? Yeah, some of you are like, nope, I just want to be loved through it. Not me, man. I never saw lights from a police officer behind me and thought, he's coming to love me. (laughs) I never thought that once. I thought, man, I should not have been doing what I was doing at the speed that I was doing it. It was enough to keep me where I need to be. Anybody else identify with that? Yeah. Yeah. See, here, here's, here's the thing. Like, we want to be a biblical church. And we say, man, we want to live according to the Bible. And here's what the Bible says. In First Timothy 5.20, it says, Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest may also fear. Do we still have that scripture up there? Yeah. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest may also fear. Leave that up there, please. It, what, what does that mean? That means if you did something bad this week that was against God and his word, that we would have a portion of the service on Sundays, where we would bring you up here in front of the church, and I would rebuke you and say you are not living according to the scriptures. And everybody else in the church would watch that person and think, I do not want that happening to me next week. It would, it would put a pit in your stomach. And if you were fighting with your spouse that week, like you better stop that pastor's gonna bring us up in front of everybody on Sunday, it would change you. And people say, Well, that's kind of rude. It's kind of mean to do that to people, but is it? Because if you rebuke in the presence of all, the rest may also fear. Everybody else be like, Man, we do not want to be on that rebuke. Honey, we've been up there every week. Please, this week, we not be up there. I'm tired of it. You're going through it in your own life. You're like, man, I do not want to be on that three-week plan. Man, let's just take care of it right now. If I was getting rebuked publicly, it would be justice. And it would fear me into submission. And submission, my friends, is victory. Here's the next part of it. Jesus didn't quarrel. You don't quarrel. <clears throat> if you know what quarreling means, it means arguing. Verse 19, it says, He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Now, what, what does that mean? Is that This is a, from the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7. Uh, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before a shearers is silent he opened uh, not his mouth. Now, what, what does that mean? Sometimes people like to uh, paint this picture of Jesus being a rebel rouser, to, to being uh, somebody who he just loved to go create problems and he was a rebel. That wasn't the nature and character and the spirit of Jesus at all. Now, Jesus was truthful and he said things that people didn't want to hear and he confronted people in love that needed to be confronted, but he was meek. He was not He was not a, a person that enjoyed quarreling, that loved fighting, because that, that's just not. Not his spirit. He said what he needed to say, but he never instigated a quarrel uh, because of who he was. Now I'll tell you this: that there is a fine line between truth and being quarrelsome. And if you don't know what that is, let me explain to you. Quarrelsome is fighting just for fighting's sake. Fighting, uh, quarreling is creating problems in your relationships or creating problems online just because you love a good fight and, and you just need something to be worked up about. And there's a lot of people that do this. You can read in any comments section and see people like, you really took that long to write something? No one's reading that, bro. Like at all. But for somebody, like, oh man, I'm going to get them. Like, come on, man, you ain't going to get nobody. That thing's gone in 30 minutes and it's are on to something else, man. Just live your life. It's a fine line. Jesus didn't even fight crucifixion. He he gave himself up for it. The Bible said that he was obedient even unto death. Now, now what does it mean to you? I I think that you want to win. Like three people. I don't know. Who would like to lose? Yeah. Who would like to win? Okay. Everybody wants to be a winner. Everybody wants to win at everything. And, and, and people say, well, I don't like sports. It's not about sports. Winning is, hey, I got in on traffic early. Winning is we got a, a seat at the table at the restaurant faster than somebody else. You're walking by like, boom, got that table. It's winning. Winning is board games, right? We're like, I'm going to destroy them. I don't care what happens to the relationship. Like when you play with my wife. We do board games at my, tr- at my house. We all like to win. And so what happens is, is that when you have this winner mindset, if you can't find other areas to win, then when you have an opportunity to enter into a, a, a quarrel with somebody... You just enter into it because you're like, all right, man, game on, let's go. I haven't been winning in my life, but this is an area where I can win. I'm going to fight this person over something that really doesn't matter that much to me, but I so desperately want to feel the winning that I'm going to destroy this relationship or destroy this person just so I can feel the win on the inside. It just becomes I'm not going to lose. And I will tell you as a Christian... We should be peacemakers. Yeah, we should not be grudge holders. We should not be arguers. We should not be belligerent. That's not who we should be. Yeah, yeah. If, if we're Christian people and we're walking with Jesus, like and Jesus wasn't quarrelsome. Why do we fight, man? Why do we argue? Like why why do why do we argue with people that are in our church? Or why why would you why would you waste one breath arguing with your spouse? Why? This is this is your treasure. This is who you live with. And you want to, this is where you want to create the biggest problems is with your spouse and with the inside of your church. Remember years ago when we first moved into the building, I made a decision that I didn't want uh, women wearing skirts when they were up on the worship team. And people say, "Why are you being so legalistic?" It's not about legalistic. I just don't think it's a good look for you to be down, them to be up and the skirt to be short. I'm just like, "Come on, man, wear something a little bit longer or throw on some pants." And if you think that's legalism, go find somewhere else to worship. But I uh, <laughs> And and so we had this, and it wasn't like, you will do this. It's like, eh, this is kind of what we're going to do moving forward, because you came from the warehouse that had a flat floor, and it didn't matter back then because you couldn't even see the worship team because the ceilings were so short. And, uh, And so this one gal took issue with it, and this was the hill she was going to stand on to fight everybody and everything. And so in good Christian fashion, she imprinted it upon my wife that she was angry with Crystal. Because I made a decision, which was very interesting to me. And so then she was all worked up. And you know how people get. And so then we're like, you know what, we need to meet with her. and Just kind of talk to her in love. And you're like, man, where are you at? And I'm like, I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to fight with you. I just want to like, can we talk about this we move together in love? And this gal was like, I'm not meeting with Pastor Crystal. I ain't got nothing to say to her. And then, like, come to church on Sunday, like, fee, fi fo, fum. And I was like, like, come on, man. You're like, we're going to go to church together for the rest of our lives with you being upset about my wife because of something that we said about what you can wear on a worship team, and And she literally, like, avoided us for weeks because she didn't want to talk to Crystal about this. I was like, you know, man, I don't think this is going to work out. And actually, they ended up leaving the church over it just because this is the kind of stuff that people leave churches over because they just refuse to have a conversation. He's refused to say, like, man, can we talk about this? Can we just, like, work things out in love? You know, I was supposed to go to hell. You are supposed to go to hell. Let's work these things out together because it's probably not that important anyway. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not some people. People like, game on. Yeah. This is the time that we're going to fight. I don't get it, man. I'm not a fighter. I'm just not. I don't get it. Like, it makes my stomach hurt. I can't get work done. I can't sleep at night. I I don't love being at odds with somebody, but there's some people out there that are just like, man, the more division, anger, and frustration they create, the warmer it makes them feel. I don't get it, especially as a Christian. If you're holding something towards someone in this church, meet with them and make it right, man. We don't need that here at all. We don't need that at all, man. We're, we're all in this arc together. We don't need to be putting holes in it. We don't need to. We need to walk together as Christian people in love. And, and, and going back to my relationship with my, my wife, man, I, uh, me and my wife don't fight in our marriage. We don't do that. People say, you guys don't fight. We have disagreements, but we never fight. And, I, and we've never said anything to each other over 23 years that we regret saying to each other. If you say, how is that possible? Because we're Christians and we hold our tongue and we don't say things that hurt each other because I'm planning on being with her for the rest of my life and I don't want to have to look at her after something I said and have to deal with it for the next 20 years. I mean, it's easy to destroy somebody. You just don't take that when it happens, man. When the Bible says Colossians 3.8, now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. That's a real scripture that has real application to you in the church, in your relationships, and everybody that you deal with. When the Bible says in Ephesians 4.31, to let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and evil speaking be put away from you, he meant it when he said it. And we we were in some perilous times, man. This is the the worst times that I've ever experienced. Can we walk through it together without fighting? Can we walk through it together without being angry? Now, some of you would say, man, there must be something going on in the church. There's nothing going on in the church, and that's the way I want to keep it. There ain't nothing going on. So it's easier to talk about it when it ain't going on. Make you check your heart and be like, man, is that me? Is there something going on with me? Yeah, check your heart, man. If it is you, then get right with Jesus. If you're fighting in your marriage, it needs to stop. Just stop man if you're fighting in some relationship stop figure out why you're so upset and then deal with it Just deal with it. I'm sorry. You got hurt. I'm sorry. You didn't get this when you were a kid I'm, sorry, but it's not my fault It's not even my job to fix you go to jesus and say jesus fix this inside of me Help me from being so angry and frustrating and frustrated help me to change my life jesus just go to Mr. Jesus and he'll fix it for you. But get before him. It's not an excuse to be a jerk to your spouse or to me for that matter. Figure out your problems. 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, uh, part of this scripture in, in, in verse 20, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. As much as Jesus is not quarrelsome, his nature and character is that he just doesn't destroy people for destroying sake. It's just not what he does. And, and, and so when the, when the scripture says uh, a bruised reed, he will not break. That means the reed is starting to break, but he's not going to go so hard on it that the thing's going to break. If it says a smoking flax, he will not quench. That means if something's just got embers of starting the fire to come back, he's not going to quench that and put a, a bunch of water on it and put out that fire. And so for us, part of what keeps us from being quarrelsome is that, man, you never know where somebody is at. You never know if you're going to be the one that's going to break them. You're never going to be the one in, in, in this uh, overly depressed, suicide-prone area that we live. That people are like, man, I don't have a reason for living anymore. And somehow, because you wanted to be the quarrelsome person that broke the reed and quenched the flax, and you thought, like, man, I'm going to win at this one today. Man, who cares? Quit thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Consider others better than you. Just live in love and just forgive people and make things right. Don't live with such a quarrelsome attitude, man. I hate fighting. Here's the last point. Jesus will eventually win. You will eventually win. (laughs) You're going to win, man. It says at the end, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Friend, this justice that he's going to send forth and has sent forth is the victory that overcomes the world the victor that we have in christ jesus to overcome sin and live eternally i don't know if you notice the name where it's called faith and victory here it ain't doubt and defeat that's not what we do here we live in victory because i believe in victory i believe that god has ordained us to walk in victory that's what i believe God chose you. He put his spirit in you. He has you declare his justice. He helps you to not fight. And his justice is victory. Friends, we are the fruit of this promise. We are the ones that get to experience this victory right now. Now, I will say this because you start to talk about victory and then people think, well, my victory doesn't look like this. The Bible never promises that the victory will look like how you want it to look. It promised that you will be victorious over this world. It means that sometimes you don't get what the world gets or have what the world has or, or do what the world does. But somehow you're just above it. And you're like, man, I'm special. I'm chosen. And it may not look like what I want it to look like, but I am victorious over this. Amen. First Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That means if you're walking through a situation that might be perilous, you can still smile and be like, you know, man, it's fine. I don't care. I'm victorious in Jesus. People say, "Man, shouldn't you be upset about this? Why would I be upset, man? I'm chosen. I'm redeemed. I'm on a, I'm a, I'm a train to glory, brother. I'm just passing through, and this is just a minor setback. Not even going to worry about it. And it may not be deliverance. You might have to go. You might have to go through something as a Christian." Right. But it's his sustaining power that will take you through it. The Bible says that we should rejoice that we share in Christ's suffering. Again, what a treasure it is to live in a life right now. This is it right now that we get to live this life. And say, you know what, man? I'm glad I'm going through some stuff, man. I'm glad I'm experiencing Jesus. Because if the Lord tarries in 20 years from now, we're looking back in the 20s. And all the kids are like, man, life is so hard. Man, you ain't seen nothing. You should have been alive in 20 and 21. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not 22 or 23, but in the earlies of the 20s, man, it was unlike nothing else. But, you know, we were at church. We were walking in victory. People lost jobs, and people had to make some life adjustments, but we didn't care because we were walking with Jesus, man. We were experiencing His pleasure and His power, and we had the Holy Ghost living as a We had amazing church services in that time. Things, People's lives were changed, man. People we were getting saved and set free and filled with the Holy Ghost, man. It was a great time to be alive. Grandpa, why don't we live a life like that? Because you guys are soft and weak. (laughs) Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors. Friend, come on. We can overcome this. We can have joy through this. And the reason why I'm preaching this is because some of you have given yourselves over to doubt and fear. And you're worried and you're scared. And that's not the life that God promised you. He promised you victory. He promised that you would get through it. That you wouldn't have to walk through it alone. That his sustaining power be with you as you went through it. Quit living for the world and start living for Jesus. And watch what he can do with you. Heard a great story this week about a man that was living under an oppressive king. And it's an allegory, but it makes sense. So he's living under this oppressive king, and he's holding this little bowl of lentils, and he's eating this bowl of lentils. And this other serf is next to him and says, you know, if you would bow to the king and do what he says, you wouldn't have to eat those lentils. And the man eats the lentils, and he looks over at this other guy and goes, you know... If you could learn to be satisfied with lentils, you wouldn't care so much what the king thought. Some of y'all are just like, man, I'm tired of the lentils. Man, eat some lentils for Jesus and just be good with it, man now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and and though he, us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place friend remind you of our future triumph over this I talked to a man this week that lost his wife of 52 years to COVID and, and he was talking to me on the phone and he wasn't upset with God he, he, he wasn't upset with the world he was sad that he had lost his wife to glory and he said you know what pastor I know that if she could come back for five minutes and I would try to hold on to her wrist and pull her back to this earth and she would slap my hand and say, leave me in glory. Cause that's where I want to be. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go back to the earth, man. I want to be with Jesus. I want to, I want to be with my savior. Yeah. Romans 8 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, yeah. who can be against us? Yeah. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You're going to have tribulation yeah. be of good cheer. Yeah. I've overcome the world. I want to share with you guys a scripture, and I'm going to uh, share with you guys a story, and then we'll get out of here. So um, I, I read the Bible every single day. Why? Because I'm a Christian. And if you don't read your Bible every single day, you should. Uh, same way if you talk to your spouse every day, don't you? I hope you do. We're going to stonewalling your spouse. Don't be stonewalling Jesus. Read his word every day. So... Uh, if you, and guys, I'm going to talk to you guys about this at man up on Saturday is that, um, I, I want you guys to get on the app with me so we can go through it because honestly it takes like 10 to 15 minutes a day and then you just read through the Bible once a year. It's great. And then you find nuggets like this because you know, God's word is true and every man a liar. Um, so I was in Job on Thursday and it was, man, it just really ministered to me and I wanted to share it with you and hopefully it'll minister to you in Job chapter five verse 17 Uh, uh, and, And it says this, it says, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death. And in war, from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine, and you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many and your offspring like the grass of the earth. You shall come to the grave at full age as a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know it for yourself. Man, I'm holding on to that word. I'm holding on that for me in this season. I know who I serve and I know whom whom I serve and I know that God's going to take care of me. Amen. Those are promises that we need to hold on to. Can I share with you guys one more story before we get out of here? Uh, if you don't want to hear it, you can just leave. But um, So in high school, I was on the wrestling team. And uh, freshman year, uh, I was on the football team, and I had a, a, a guy on the football team. His name was Ron Hoot. And uh, Ron Hoot was the heavyweight. And I don't know why the heavyweight always has a name like Hoot. That was his name, right? And so Hoot was like, hey, man, you're going to do wrestling. I was like, dude, I'm not doing wrestling. And um, I remember I literally was walking out of school, and he was like, "Where are you going? You're going to be on the wrestling team." I'm like, I'm gonna be on the wrestling team." Next day, he he was a junior, and he found this guy Bailey who was a senior. And Bailey came in, they came down, and they're like, "Hey man, uh, you're going to do wrestling." I'm like, "I'm not doing wrestling." And he said, "How much you weigh?" And I said, "I weigh about 165 pounds." He's like, "Come with me." And he's a senior, I'm a freshman, so I'm like, "Okay." And so we end up in the coach's uh, classroom, and he was a teacher. And I said, coach, this is our new uh, 168. He's going to wrestle. And I'm like, dude, I am not wrestling. I'm not doing it at all. And the coach was like, uh, wrestling's a lot of things. It's balance. It's strength. It's speed. I was like, I have none of that. Like, you don't need me on the team at all. And he was like, how much do you weigh? I said, 165 pounds. He goes, well, here's where we're at. We don't have a varsity wrestler at 168. So... If you wrestle varsity at 168 as a freshman, the way the system works is you could lose every single match and at the end you'll get a letterman's jacket. And I was like, how do I sign up for this wrestling? How do I? Freshman rocking that letterman's jacket in high school? Like that's status, bro. And so true to form, man, I lost every single match that first year. I didn't win one match my freshman year. And you ask anybody, I'd get up and I'd be shaking their hands, and be smiling, giving them hugs, like, "Hey, thanks, man." They're like, "Why are you so excited about losing?" Cause I know I'm getting a jacket at the end of the season. I don't, I don't care whether I win or lose. I, the outcome has already been determined, and I know that I'm going to win. So why do I care what's going on around me? Some little setback, like, man, I got man, you didn't get me, man. I'm getting the jacket. I'm getting the jacket. You can get the jacket in Jesus, amen. Would you guys stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads for just a moment before we dismiss? The most important part of the service is right now, and that's when we want to ask you if you are ready to become a Christian. And what that means is quite simply, either you are living for Jesus or you are not. Either you've given life to Jesus or you haven't. And the, the offer of Jesus is that you can be set free. You can be set free from the law of sin and death. You can be freed from your sins, free from the penalty of sin. And Jesus just says, would you come to me? Would you just come to me? And if you've never made that decision before, if you've never said, man, I want to follow Jesus, and this is your very first time, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision for the first time? Hand held high. Not our church. We, we believe in rededication. What that means is that maybe you've given your life to Jesus before. Maybe it's been weeks or months or years. But you're in a bad way. And you're like, Pastor, I am so lost. And I've been wanting to come back to Jesus. It's a day you want to come back, you say, You want, I'm ready to come back to Jesus. I want to live for him. I want to live for him and no one else. I'm not, and this isn't superstition. This isn't like, man, I'm gonna raise my hand today and I'm gonna go back to filth in the afternoon. Nope. Direction change. Walking with Jesus. If you want to make that declaration this morning, I want you to raise your hand right now and say that's me. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? And for the rest of us, let's let's pray over this sermon. Let's walk in that victory. Father, we thank you for this word. Oh, God, thank you for just a, a word that just brings victory, God. And thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you chose us. Thank you that you're walking with us and through us. Father, we pray that we would live a life worthy of the calling that you placed upon our lives, God. We thank you that we're your treasured people. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.